hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Does the dream of retiring and traveling in the world excite you, but at the same time scare you because you think you're going to have to work until you're dead? <laughs> a lot of folks in our community feel that way. And we've got a couple on the show today that shows that you can buck the trend and do something different. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. This is episode 282, and we're going to introduce you to Jimmy and Mac geek streamers who are slow traveling around the world, who buck the trend of the lifestyle that so many feel like they have to live up to in order to really be the quote unquote perfect gay, right? So we're going to dive into their story. Join us today on this episode. Remember, we make the Queer Money podcast for you. So please post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group. and We may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Now let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So welcome to the Queer Money Podcast, Jimmy and Mac. Uh, we are super excited to have you guys on the show. As I mentioned in the outset, we have more recently become acquaintances or friends of yours, but We've kind of been tracking you on Instagram and on your website a little bit. So welcome to the Queer Money Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks. We're excited to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, do you mind if I can just do a little, hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Jimmy. So our listeners can understand. The watchers obviously are going to be able to see who's talking. But if you're listening to the podcast, we can get a little voice introduction here. <laughs> I'm Jimmy and um, I'm Mac. For folks listening, I hope you can tell the difference. We'll try to add a little bit more to that along, along the way. So your website is called Geek Streamers, and I know a little bit about your background, but maybe, Jimmy, you could start off by telling us what makes you a geek? Why are you call yourself a geek? <laughs> Back when I was growing up, um, <laughs> being a geek wasn't like a thing. My mom's from the Philippines, and... Um, I, I lived there for a while and we, I had no idea what a geek was. I, there was actually a, um, a geek day in school and, and we, my mom just said, okay, this is what we do. We'll go to your dad's suit closet. We'll put on an old suit, <laughs> bunch of ties. That's a geek. So um, I show up for school wearing my dad's old suit and ties. And I see everybody else is dressed up like I normally am. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was a moment so, of self-reflection, um, huh? <laughs> yes. So it wasn't until um, I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, it's like um, nerds, revenge of the nerds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that that was the first time I found out what a nerd was, and that it was me. You know, so <laughs> so I, I I'm that. I'm like I'm like a, a book nerd, like a, a computer nerd. Um, my dad was uh, sold computers when they came out, and my dad and my mom was a um, computer programmer. But this was like the old days when there were cards and women were the coders. 
So wow. I had no choice, you know, to, <laughs> to come out kind of like geeky. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's your parents' fault. <laughs> right. As every Oprah yeah. Winfrey show ends, it's your parents' fault. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, Mac, what about you? I think you? that was also the thing. Yeah, I think that was the thing that we um, really connected over. You know, I, I think we're different in, in some ways, like our, our geekdoms might be slightly different, but I, you know, I've always been into just like sci-fi and fantasy. And I grew up thinking I was going to be a comic book artist. And when we, when we went on our first date, I think we just really connected over all the sort of nerdy things that we were both into. And yeah, I mean, it's basically ever since we've been to the hip, it's, it's just a, uh, you know, I think we both just have those kinds of interests. And I think it wasn't something that we, I, I know in my dating life, I didn't experience a lot of, um, people that were as quite as geeky and nerdy about these sorts of things as I was. So I think it, it was just a, yeah, I, I think our, uh, we knew we were meant for each other when we were uh, talking about this old anime show that no one's and, ever heard of. Yeah. <laughs> it was about um, earthlings versus uh, fighting the, the gamma lines. Anyway, there's a theme song. We both, we sang, both it. We sang it together in the bar. And, uh, and it was like, and, and it was <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Right. So we know that you've got, you've left a portion of your geek life behind because you both have kind of left what the normal lifestyle that most folks end up living. You've left behind your nine to five. You are fully retired now. Right. And, you know, I don't know your exact ages, but you're definitely not the traditional retirement age, right? You're not in your late 50s, early 60s. Or they have or... a very good skincare routine and we need to have an episode <laughs> about that. That's true. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I think what's what's interesting is you have departed from the traditional life, right? The normal life that a lot of folks and for folks listening, that's part of the reason why there's a difference in sound here. Mac and James have been traveling the world, slow travel, right? Is that what you kind of define it as slow travel, traveling the world for quite some time now. And you're coming to us from where in Mexico? Guadalajara. Guadalajara, nice. right? So I know I've been, I was watching all your pictures on Instagram from Mexico City, and I really, really want to go to Mexico City now. Yeah. But maybe you could tell us a little about a bit about how you arrived at this kind of lifestyle that you're at, you said to us in a conversation previously that you kind of accidentally fell into the financial independence retire early space. So how did you accidentally fire? <laughs> what does that mean to you? Well, I think I'd probably start by saying, I think that, you know, the, the unconventional living part of it, I, I think for, you know, both of us, we were fairly young, we left our hometowns and you know, we both grew up in small towns. And I think I think there is an element of being gay that sort of uh, primed us to be comfortable with living a little bit differently than, you know, the way that we grew up. So I think there's, there's that element of it that, that we sort of embarked on at a, at a much younger age. I think as far as accidentally falling into fire, I think, it, it, I think what we mean by that is that some of the things that set the stage for us to be able to retire early weren't necessarily things that we uh, were doing intentionally. We were doing them because we thought they were the things to do. So as an example, we we both started contributing to our 401ks. You know, we were fortunate enough that we had those available to us in our 20s, and we just thought that was the thing you were supposed to do. So we did. And, you know, if there was an employer match, we met the employer match, and we 
we just left that money alone. And so, you know, we, we say we say that, you know, what is 60% of our net worth right now is, is because of that. So if we hadn't made that decision in, in our in our younger years, I, you know, we wouldn't be able to retire. So it was just, you know, it, it wasn't a, an action that we took thinking that we'd be able to retire early. It was just the sort of like, oh, well, the company offers this, so you, you should you should participate. The other thing about nomad life is we we didn't pursue nomad life out of you know by pursuing fire. I think sometimes people are looking you know trying to pursue a, a an early retirement life so they can travel. We actually began traveling while we were working, so it wasn't we, there wasn't this idea of retirement. Our thought was that we were going to travel and work, and um, and it was just by chance a coworker of. Of Jimmy's sent him a message, this article about this blogger named Mr. Money Mustache. And I, 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 we hear this story often, but she thought we might find it of interest. And it just, it completely sent us on a, you know, different path because we realized, you know, living, we had moved into an Airstream and we're traveling full time around the country working. And, uh, but we were still earning our San Francisco salaries, you know, and it was allowing us, it was a fairly inexpensive lifestyle. So we were at that point for a couple of years, saving about 75% of our income just by living this cheaper lifestyle. So again, it was like the nomad life just was sort of a, an accidental thing that allowed us to save a lot of, um, of our income. And so when we were finally introduced to this idea of fire, we had a lot of the puzzle pieces in place already. Um, and so then it was just a matter of like, well, let's work the numbers. How, what else do we have to do? Uh, and so we, you know, we had a, a few other steps along that journey, but I think it was um, a lot of the puzzle pieces just sort of accidentally were in place because of our desire to sort of vacate our traditional nine to five life that, that just set us up for, for early retirement. Our coworker still sends, sends me messages asking, so what in that article did you see? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's an important question. So from what I'm gathering, you had a pretty traditional beginning of life for most LGBTQ people, right? You came from a small town, probably didn't feel like you fit in. Uh, you looked to escape as soon as you had the opportunity, like many of us did. And then you went to a more expensive city to find that inclusion. But with it, with that inclusion, oftentimes comes that excessive cost. And, and many of us have heard, you know, you should invest in your 401k, right? Go to, go to college, get a good job, save as much money as you can, and then you can retire uh, at 65. So I, I guess I have to ask the same question. What in all that messaging that all of us have received to some degree or another, um, even if we did have to escape to a more expensive city, did you hear differently or read differently than everybody else seems to? <laughs> so it's a good question. I think I think the issue for us is we were living the life. We were living the we we had a, a condo in San Francisco and a vacation home in uh, the wine country, and uh-huh. we were spending. Yeah. We, we had no idea where our money was going. But the issue is that we finally got to a point where we called it the hamster wheel of doom. Like it just, it felt like we we're just running and running and running to maintain this life that we had built up around ourselves. And it just, it wasn't sustainable. You know, we, we had laddered up to this house in the suburbs thinking that this was going to be like this magical place that we'd come home to after our work days and not really anticipating the long you know, multiple hour commute each way and, you know, taking out a 30 year mortgage in our forties and realizing that we'd stretched ourselves so thin that we would be, have to work into our seventies to ever even pay this house off, you know? And so it was like, that was, I think where we first had this realization that like, 
how are we ever going to retire? You know, when we literally have to work into our seventies to pay off this house. Right. I, I will say it's very interesting that that's a common comment I've seen on Facebook and on Twitter amongst specifically gay men, but other queer folks who say, oh, I'm just going to have to work until I die. And I, I, I'm curious if you maybe kind of felt the same way and how did you say, okay, let's, let's get off this wheel. How do, how do we stop this going, get off this wheel and not feel like you are going to be missing something in life, that you're going to lose your friends, that you're going to lose your lifestyle. Life's going to be boring and you're not going to enjoy it anymore. How did you do that? I, I think we we're older. So, <laughs> older. I think this so was, we do have a good skincare routine. Right. So we have to say, I think we're both <laughs> older than you. <laughs> I'm 49 and uh, I turned 48 this year. Um, yes. We're both so, older than you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that we had we hit our midlife crisis. So, oh. so I had been working at I, I'm a, I was a contractor and I'd working for the, been working for the same client for it was supposed to be a nine month contract. Ten years later, I was still there doing the <laughs> same like thing. That's like David's relationship. <laughs> <laughs> But I was doing the same thing I was doing the first for the first nine months. You know, it was just like I, I was completely bored. I felt like it wasn't challenging and I felt like I was just fading away. And then you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I didn't go to college and I sort of just fell into the career I was in and um, in an industry that I didn't feel particularly passionate about. And I worked for the same company for 17 years and worked my way up the ladder. But I, I think I had just gotten to this point where I was at a level where the corporate politics were just so prevalent in my day to day that it, it, it just wasn't for me. And I, and I found myself just dreading, you know, during the commute, just dreading arriving at the office and, you know, not really feeling like it was for me uh, anymore. And I did, I, I don't know what really what I thought would get us out of it, but uh, Jimmy has this incessant need to fix everything. And so when I start being bothered by something, he will just start frantically looking for solutions. And so I think that's kind of what set us on the path of like, well, how do we get out of this? It was like, I have a five-year plan. And I said, I'm not going to make it five years. Yes. And then he shows up one day and he's like, what about living in an RV? <laughs> And I, I, first of all, it was shocking to me that he would even suggest that because the way we were living was so opposite of, you know, living a small life traveling or, you know, we never RV'd, we never towed any, like we had no experience doing anything like that at all. But it was, you know, we started watching a lot of these YouTubers that were doing it and, and, and it just, you know, it started to seem like maybe, maybe there was something to this, you know, we, we'd explored other ideas, like maybe we just move to a cheaper state and buy a smaller house, or we build some little compound out of shipping containers somewhere. And, you know, we, we explored all the, all these ideas, but I think we didn't really know where we wanted to go. So this seemed like a logical next step because we could travel around and see if we could find that magical place that we'd want to settle. Yeah. And so that's kind of how we got on that path. It was, it was sort of just more, I think we were just looking for a way to get out, get off the hamster wheel. It was, it just felt like we were, um, living this, we, we, we say it was like, a, it was an insidious time loop. We just, it just felt like yes. every day was living the same day over and over again. And we 
just we needed some newness. So I guess I want to yeah. ask, how did you find? It sounds like what I'm what I'm hearing. Your life in San Francisco prior to becoming nomadic was maybe sort of like the stereotypical fabulous lifestyle for a gay man or a gay couple, right? You're living in a metropolitan city. You have these great jobs. You have a home in the wine country, probably dressed well, partied well, had, you know, did all the, the fabulous stuff, but then you decide to come to do a complete like 180. How did you handle that? I feel, cause I feel like to David's point earlier, a lot of gay men, especially think that I'm just going to be on this hamster wheel until, you know, until I die. And I think part of that is because they can't, envision a different version of themselves. They can't envision a more authentic version of themselves because they feel like there is a stereotype that we have to live up to, right? Because TV and media and whatever tells us that there's a certain definition of what it means to be a successful gay man. How did you Fuck reconcile that with yourselves? Okay. So RVing life, there's different levels, right? You have like the old square box um, with grandma uh, cabinets and then you have on the other side, you have like more aesthetically Euro styling, like the Airstream that's metal, sleek, really greatly designed. So um, we're really into aesthetics and <laughs> what we were at the time. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of got beat that, that beat out of us once we were RVing for a while. But um, we were like, okay, if we're going to do this, it should just be the most stylish RV that we can have. So we had this thing about like, no matter what it is that we buy, we just like to renovate it. So we did that with the condo. We did that with the every, every place, place we, we stayed. <laughs> so we brought this, we bought this brand new RV, kind of like took out, we gutted part of it. We sent it to a fabricate, fabricator and we had it like spec'd out. It was teched. It had solar panels. It had like a, a cool, sleek work um, environment. So it wasn't that big of a leap. The hardest part was just getting rid of things. So every time that we sold a place, we ended up selling it with the furniture. And then that got us disconnected from the stuff. I don't know if this makes a lot of sense. (laughs) One of the things I'm kind of maybe hearing you say here is that what you enjoyed in life didn't necessarily have to change. It was just the size of what you enjoyed in life changed, and that changed your budget as well. You talked about this was a much more affordable life, and it allowed you to then start investing or put more money into investing for the eventual future of retiring. So size does matter is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) It first of all needs to be pretty, but then. (laughs) That helps. Well, that's true. When we moved into the RV, we had less space for stuff. And we had, that was, uh, the other thing was you couldn't just buy stuff. Like Amazon wouldn't deliver on the middle of the woods. So um, it really brought, (laughs) never go to the woods, (laughs) but it did force us to bring our lifestyle under control. I mean, when we were looking for our um, FI number, um, we we had no idea of what that budget number was going to be. We we had heard Mr. Money Mustache saying that he was living at forty thousand dollars, and we're like, okay, I guess that's doable. Um, Not knowing how much we spent each year. And then when we finally started tracking our, our numbers, we're like, no, we, we spend $90,000 without even thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, once we moved into the RV, 
we're like, we don't have, we don't have furniture to buy. We don't have clothes to buy because we have limited space. And after being there for being in the RV for a year, we're like, oh, well, our, our budget actually is close, is closer to that $40,000 mark. It's, it's not exactly there, but it's closer to it. And we were able to save 70% of our income and throw it into uh, investing and maxing out our 401ks. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. So it sounds like there was a slow shedding of sort of all the material possessions and all the expectations that society has on you uh, while you were in this RV. I'm curious, how did that affect your stress levels, anxiety, and your, your emotions? Did you, did that, did that, did you see that improve in tandem or? Uh, immensely. Uh, <laughs> it's, I, I think that, and this probably answers your, your earlier question a little bit too, is I, I think we were feeling very trapped in our life, you know, and it, and it, I think that how we sort of got over that hump of like putting up appearances or whatever, I think we were just very focused on how to get out of it. Like we were looking for something that felt like an escape. And so it, I don't, I don't think it was so much that we were worried about what other people thought of what we were doing or how people might perceive it. It almost felt like, I don't know, escaping and just riding off into the sunset, you know, and, and not, and just leaving it all behind. And so I think that, that, that mental shift was what allowed us to sort of be okay with parting ways with things and I think that, and, and this, once we, once we hit the road, I mean, it was super stressful getting to that point. I mean, the, the, you know, the idea, you know, from the idea of becoming a nomad to actually becoming a nomad was, was pretty stressful. I mean, there was definitely a lot of things to shed and selling houses, and figuring out what are we going to do with our cars and do we want to have storage or not? And, you know, all of these things. And, and, you know, once we kind of got to that point, though, I think we just realized that having this lighter life of just less stuff and being able to sort of just pull everything we own along with us, it just felt very freeing. And I think, I think that's part of the evolution of why we've continued to just downsize and downsize and downsize, because the less stuff we have, the more freedom we feel. We feel more able to just shift gears on a whim, you know, because there's, there's, there's less um, anchors, less overhead you know, getting in our way from making a big change. And, you know, so we, we do that a lot. You know, I think it's, if, if there's one thing that's been true in our relationship over the last 13 years is that every couple of years we get some harebrained idea and we'll just completely upend our life and, you know, do something different. So, you know, that's, that's been true. And I think, I think just in a, in a moment of sort of you know, self-awareness, we've realized that's unlikely to change. Yeah. Um, in the future. And so by setting up our life in such a way that allows us to make these big shifts when we want to, and, you know, or we've grown bored of a lifestyle, or we are just seeking some kind of new experience, it allows us to do that without, you know, all that stress that we had to go through to make the big change in the first place. That is so profound. Yeah, I, I think oh, I just want to call out, I think, two maybe two things that I really think are important here, especially for folks when you're listening or watching this. One of the things that you said is that you didn't care what other people thought, which I know that the vast majority, I bet you 99.9999999% of LGBT folks will say, I can be myself. I can do what I want to do. I don't care. Right. But then 
we fall into the trap of living a lifestyle that we think is for us, but somehow emotionally is attached to this need to get acceptance from others. And I think that growing up queer, especially you grow up queer and you're constantly seeking acceptance from others because you know how different you are inside. And so I think we get trapped into that, but you were actually truly able to do that. You cared more about yourselves and your own in your, your own happiness in life. And that, I think that breaking that away and folks, when you're thinking about, if you're thinking about pursuing this kind of lifestyle, whether it's nomadic or financial independence, wanting to retire early or simply breaking away from the consumerism that we see in society today, that's one of the biggest things, right? That's one of the biggest things you have to say, I truly, I truly don't give a fuck what anybody else says about the way I live my life. And if that means I'm going to live in a 120 square foot box on wheels, screw it. That's what I'm going to do because that's what makes me happy. I think that the second thing here that I kind of heard you say in this whole discussion, and our friend Paula Pant, who has the Afford Anything podcast, talks about this a lot, growing the gap right? Growing the gap between what you spend and what you make. And the more you can grow that gap, the more money you will have to sustain the lifestyle that you want in the future. And so that's a really important part of wanting to become either nomadic or financially independent. If we get caught on the hamster wheel, the hamster wheel as we age just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And in order to get it to go around just many times, you got to run faster and faster and faster and faster. And that's kind of sounds like what was going on with your life, right? You were just growing the hamster wheel bigger and bigger and bigger. Now there were two of you on it going faster and faster and faster. And you're like, this has got to stop. Now you brought physics into it. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> First it was math, now I'm now turning into a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so let's switch here. You guys are now doing slow travel. I, I would love to dive into the Airstream days, but you know we've got a little bit amount of time here to keep people interested. Let's switch to the slow travel because that's what you guys are doing right now. Let's talk about how to how you talked about you wanting to switch up your lives every few years. How did you switch and get rid of the Airstream and do the start doing the slow travel? And when did true retirement come into the picture? Yeah, the switch sort of happened when we um, realized that winters in a RV really suck. And uh, so we, we started um, taking these little jaunts during the winter months overseas. So we, uh, you know, we sort of stumbled into this digital nomad movement and, you know, everyone was going to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And so we, our first winter uh, is what we did. We went there and just, you know, started working in uh, co-working spaces and just seeing what that life was like um, and spent a month there. And then we decided the following year to extend that. And so we went to Buenos Aires for three months. It was actually the longest we'd stayed in one place since we had left our stationary life behind. And it was, it was exciting for us because I think we realized that, you know, there was more runway to this nomadic life than just exploring the U.S., but there's a whole world. And, uh, and so I, I think after that, that um, Argentina stay, we decided that maybe it was time to do something different. Again, we've been doing it for two years. And at this point, it was probably time for us to make a change. So we, um, we sold the Airstream and, uh, and started experimenting with different pieces of travel. I think that that's the thing that we're honestly just now starting to 
get a grasp on how long do we want to stay in a place? Because, you know, we don't want to feel like vacation mode where we're running around trying to squeeze everything in a destination into um, a short window of time. But we also don't want to stay so long that we become bored or disinterested in the place that we're in. And so we've been sort of fine tuning that. And we've, you know, so we've, we've, we've done things where we stayed in places as long as a year that, you know, and, and I think that we're kind of now in a place where, you know, a month or two seems to be about the right pace for us to have a little bit of mundane, a little bit of routine mixed in with all the excitement of exploring a new place. Uh, that seems to work pretty well for us, but it's, you know, that's been a, an evolution that we've been, you know, honestly on right up until this, you know, very moment. Nice. That's awesome. So where all have you guys been in these last few years? Well, <laughs> there was the plan and then there was the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> this is true. Oh, yes. So yeah, I think we've, we've been moving pretty slowly after we sold the Airstream. Um, in fact, we had spent a year um, close to family thinking that maybe we would just do like six months to a year in a place before moving on. And then it didn't take us very long to realize that was way too slow. And then 2020 was supposed to be the year where we were going to, you know, jet off and start exploring the rest of the world. And then literally the month that we were supposed to take off the everything shut down. And so we had to scrap all of our plans and then ended up kind of doing this colossal road trip around the U.S. So we've been to together uh, like 43 states, 31 uh, national parks and um, 13 countries. Maybe 13 countries. I feel like we're pretty we're pretty new to the world travel part of it. Um, you know, we had a lot of original plans. We've ended up spending most of this year in Mexico just because it was a place that we could um, get into fairly easily. And it's still close enough to the states that allows us to kind of come back when we need to. So that's been kind of where we've been most of the in fact, we've been in Mexico, I think, longer this year than the states. Yeah. We we also don't think of this as a race. You know, it's just like we have our whole lives. We plan to do this until it's not fun anymore. So it's just like, we had the option to just like, okay, well, let's just put a star on every place on the map. And we're like, yeah, we don't want to be everywhere. <laughs> <You know>? let's, <laughs> let's just enjoy ourselves and just take it organically where we're going to go. So, um, and, and we've had to learn to be a lot more flexible. I mean, we're by nature planners. And I think if it was, you know, if, if there were no obstacles, we would, probably be planned, you know, six months out in the future, knowing every step of the way. But I mean, we've had to learn to just sometimes not know where we're going to be in a couple of weeks with, Mm -hmm. you know, with the pandemic we've had, you know, we just, the circumstances change so often and, you know, we don't have a home base to retreat to. to, So we're, you know, we're always sort of in that gray space of figuring out where, where are we going to go next and what's accessible to us. And then, you know, and conversely, you know, just trying to, you know, navigate things in this environment where, you know, we're, we're both pretty super introverted nerds. So, you know, I think that um, the lack of social interaction, I don't think has been maybe as hard on us as other people. We have each other and I think often that's enough for us, but See, it's enough it's... for them. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are listening, I just got ice scolded by John. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's maybe just an attribute that we have that um, that helps um, in this situation. I mean, we can we can kind of hunker down and 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 be okay with that. So it's been you know a big learning experience, but it's it's um, we're kind of just taking it day to time, and you know who knows where we'll be next. Nice. nice. So let me ask you, how much has being a gay couple or being queer 
factored into the places that you choose where you go to? Is it something that is out at the forefront or is it just something that's co- you're cognizant about when you're choosing or do you just not care at all? <laughs> no, uh, whenever we think about going to a country, we look up um, whether or not they're gay friendly and there's different levels, you know, right. um, we primarily just want to know we can be gay in the country and not be arrested. So we figure there's enough gay friendly countries in the world that we can go first to them. And then once we run out of them, we'll start cycling back to these other ones that may be a little bit more dangerous gotcha. for us. You know? <laughs> All right. Where do you, I'm curious, what, what tool, what websites do you go to to verify this information? Do you go to this, the, the government website here or um, anywhere else? We pretty much just put, we just Google the country and LGBT. And there's usually a wiki uh, article that comes up that says, okay, well, is there um, LGBT discrimination protections? Uh, Are they allowed to serve openly in the military? That's the key one right there. If they're allowed to serve openly in the military, if they're going to give their gays guns, I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gays and guns, uh uh-oh. That's a good Now you're really going to scare the Republicans. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good tip, though. I think that's a good way to look at it. It's true, right? If you're going to give gays guns, better watch out. So let's let's jump over to the the money aspect of this. You talked about your your expensive lifestyle before. How do you budget today? How do you manage your investments today? What does your financial life look like? Especially you talked about this point of getting down to being able to save 70% of what you make. And I think a lot of people, when they think, oh, you save 70% of what you make, you must make $350,000 a year, right? Maybe talk a little bit about that kind of lead up to breaking away from the lifestyle and then what your budgeting looks like today. I think our budgeting really started more as tracking because I think we just realized how uninformed we were about our money in the beginning. So it was just, you know, when we started embarking on this idea of what is it going to cost us to to travel full time, we had nowhere to start. And then we realized that we didn't even know what we were spending in our, in our previous life. And so there, there was a long period where we were just really tracking. And I think part of that was just because we didn't, we needed to understand how much does it cost for us to live at a quality of life that we were happy with. You know, I think that it wasn't about like, how do we get it as small as possible? It was like, are we going to be happy? Is this sustainable? What, what is it going to um, look like for us. And I, you know, I, I don't think we knew what that number was. You know, there's, there's a lot of nomads out there. There's a lot of people that share numbers. And, and of course we paid attention to that, but obviously we have our own preferences, our own, you know, our own values. And so we needed to really just understand that. And I think even just in the tracking, it, it allowed us to just become a lot more self-aware of what was adding value and what wasn't. Sometimes we would be, you know, you sort of just thoughtlessly spending money on something thinking that we needed it or that it was going to be important. And I think, I think that just, there was something about that, that I think just connected our behaviors to financial outcomes, you know, realizing that we might buy, you know, oh, I need this new, I need the new phone this year. And then, and then literally I've had it for a week and I can't even remember why I didn't like the last one. Right. You know, I think we just had these sort of moments where it was like, was that money well spent? And, you know, and when you're tracking it and you're looking at it, do I want to budget for that every year? I think it just made us a lot more aware. And so having, having that history allowed us to build a budget that we, that, that was like, what's important to us. Let's build a budget around the things that we value and are important to us. And, and I, so, so that's kind of how we arrived at what it is, but we also 
we look at it as evolutionary. You know, we, we don't, we don't only, we don't, we don't set a budget and say like this, this is it forever. You know, I think we, we realize that obviously as people that tend to upend our lives every couple of years, we realize that there are going to be changes, but we also realize that we have constraints that we need to live with. And especially being retired, we are essentially on a fixed income. And so we have to make whatever changes that we make fit within, within those parameters. And so I think we, we worked until we were at a point where we felt comfortable that any changes that we might make in the future would be, you know, would, would fit within that, within those constraints. So I, th- I think that's kind of how we um, dealt with budgeting. Uh, as far as, you know, the rest of our finances, I think it's all fairly straightforward. I mean, we're, we're, we don't do real estate, obviously. We're just fully invested in the stock market and um, we are low cost index funds, um, sort of the, the standard fire approach, uh, you know, everything's kind of invested and we keep a certain amount of money available for us for our living expenses. And um, we're just taking withdrawals um, at regular intervals to to sort of top that up as we go, but otherwise everything just sort of sits and grows. And I, you know, I think it was a little scary in the beginning because you know when we first stopped working and didn't have the income coming in, and you know, and then to then to you know live through the, the the roller coaster of the pandemic and seeing what the stock market was doing, and you know, having those moments of like, was this a mistake? Are we going to be able to make it? Um, but you know, I think that holding true to the plan, we've realized that that we'll we'll be. We think we'll be okay. So. <laughs> nice. nice. Good. What I'm hearing you say is that it sounds like initially when you were on that hamster wheel, you kind of had no idea. I mean, you knew where your money was coming from, but you didn't know where your money was going. And that's actually the first step in our book here, The Four Principles of Debt-Free Life, is <laughs> to become money conscious. Because I think most people don't know where their money is going. Um, to your point, right? You just, you're habitually, you get the new iPhone because the new iPhone comes out. And I don't, I don't know the last time I was like, wow, this is completely different and better than the last iPhone that I had. And the so, iPhone six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but I think, you know, to your point earlier, most LGBTQ people, gay, gay men specifically, are saying, I'm going to have to work until I die. I would argue most people, most gay men specifically don't know where their money is going. And then if they did become money conscious, they did do a spending analysis like we do in the first module of the credit card payoff course, like you guys did with your budgeting, that they could realize that, oh, well, my, my, my quality of life isn't commensurate with my spending. And if I rein some of this stuff in, I can actually live maybe a much more secure uh, financially at peace life. And maybe I can also retire early or become nomadic or come up with an alternative plan that I'm more happy with in life. Yeah. So I have a question for you. And it kind of is just kind of piggybacking off of what John just said. Last week, the episode of the podcast, John and I talked about what is financial independence, retire early. And we called out Court and Nick from Modern Family, Allie and Allison from All Options Considered, Jillian and Stephanie, I think, from our freedom years, right? There is this, there seems to be this growing plethora of lesbians and lesbian couples that are out there talking about financial independence, retire early. So let me ask you, why uh, do you have any thoughts on why we see so few gay men and gay couples talking about financial independence and retiring early? Are we doing it in secret because we're scared to let everyone else know about we've made these major changes to our lives or or is maybe what John is talking about that we just feel that the way to be a successful, happy gay man is to have all the stuff or the, all the experiences, and then we just can't get there. Or maybe you could share your thoughts. It's a tough question. It's, <laughs> I think, I think 
it could be what you're saying. I, I, I think that um, you get comfortable, right? You have everything that you feel like you need. You're getting approval from your friends who also have uh, those fancy vacations and, and clothes and um, the, the uh, restoration hardware furniture. You're like, okay, well, this is this is the status. This is what we're how we're supposed to live. You need to hit something that makes you unhappy. You need to hit that why that um, makes you feel like something needs to change. And I, I, I know that there's a disparity between men and women financially. Um, and maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe there's there's something there. I think you're hitting on a very interesting point here, because studies have shown that women in general often seek security and financial security very differently than what men do. And I know that there's the whole gender spectrum and gender identity spectrum, but I'm curious if individuals who gravitate towards the feminine end of the spectrum are ones who are seeking that security. And because of that, they find more of this kind of information, right? Maybe they are looking for more information about how do I budget? How do I save for retirement? How do I protect my family? How do I get a, a low cost mortgage for the house we want to buy, right? They're maybe looking at those kinds of things a little bit more than what maybe individuals who gravitate towards the, the male end of the spectrum. It could and, also be out of necessity, I think, to maybe what James was kind of getting to as well, is that because women earn less, there's kind of this greater responsibility to say, okay, how do I manage the fewer dollars that I'm earning relative to the men who are typically earning more? And we can be a little bit more laissez-faire about it. Right. That's true. But there should be a study about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, there's so many topics we've covered and I, I know folks, this is a longer podcast than normal, but we love these kind of interviews. Maybe you guys could talk a little bit about what's in your future. What's in the future for geek streamers? What's going on in your blogging Instagram life, what's going on in, uh, in your travel life? Right now we're in Mexico and we're, uh, you know, I, I think as far as, you know, our, our blog, we, that is something that we started as a, I think more just a way to sort of document our, our own journey. I feel like there's, there's a lot of sort of personal benefit that we get out of it. So, you know, it's, it's non-monetized. We don't want it to feel like a job. So it, it's, it's kind of this, way for us to sort of reflect. I think, I think we get something out of just writing about our, the places we've been, what we're, what we're experiencing. We share our um, expenses on there as well every month. So we're, it's a way for us to, so I think it's almost sort of a, a, I don't know, a, an accountability mechanism for ourselves to sort of, you know, make sure that we're taking time to kind of go back and look. And I also think it just, you know, it's, it's, it kind of opens the books as to living the way we live. What, you know, where does all of our money go when we, you know, travel full time and, and uh, so, so that stuff is kind of what we do. And it's, it's just, you know, we're kind of just sharing our, our journey as we go and telling the story. We're in Mexico now. Um, we will be here for another month after this. And then um, we're not 100% sure. We have, some, we have some loose plans, but I, I probably wouldn't say anything publicly yet just because we're not 100% locked in. But um, we're hoping Europe might be in our future. And, um, you know, that might be a, a, another step for us. But we're Again, not not 100% sure. I think we're just kind of taking it day at a time, um, but definitely continuing to travel the world, you know, document. We share a lot of pictures on Instagram of the places that we're at. And um, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, I, I definitely say, will say following your Instagram feed is making me very jealous and making me really want between you and uh, go with less. 
I really want to go to Mexico now. <laughs> so well, we'll be there in November. So we're, yeah, we're headed there for, for a week in November, but I want to do a little bit more of what you've done is slow travel. So, so thanks guys for, for joining us. Absolutely. Where can our followers, our listeners follow you like kids track Santa on Christmas Eve? <laughs> uh, probably the, the easiest is probably just to follow us on Instagram, geek streamers at geek streamers on Instagram. Uh, and then our blog is geekstreamers.com. Uh, and that's, that's the place where you're going to get a lot more detail about, you know, the places we're going and what we're experiencing. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story about your path, uh, accidentally falling into fire and how you picked it up and have seemed to run very diligently with it. I love what you guys are doing and the fact that you are guys are so authentic with what you share. So thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for being our beta test for our first video with a guest yes exactly <laughs> we're happy to be test subjects <laughs> make sure to check out more ways that capital one can help you achieve financial well-being at capital one.com that's capital one.com wow no i don't know about you guys but that was one of our probably one of our best interviews ever. We love the conversation we had with Jimmy and Mac. We are super jealous about what they're doing with their lives right now, right? And maybe you are too. But one of the things to keep in mind, and here's your queer money takeaway from this episode. If you think that you're going to have to work until you're dead, think again. There's a lot of options out there. But for most folks, we live an unconscious way of life when it comes to our spending. So our takeaway from this episode is change what the way you're thinking about retirement, about financial independence and what it takes to get there. And one of the best ways to do that is to do an analysis of what you spend your money on. Do a spending analysis, figure out where you spend your money and the doors of opportunity will open up to you. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Queer Money. We'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.